Hi, I'm Greg Eulen with Reynolds & Reynolds, and this is Connected. Today, I get to sit down and talk with John Carpenter, who's the general manager at Joe Ball GMC, just outside of Pittsburgh. Uh, really looking forward to the conversation. He's got an interesting backstory and is doing some great things at that store. So, John, thanks so much for uh, joining. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. John, I'm hoping to start with uh, maybe a little bit of your background. I think you have a, a pretty interesting story and a path. You know, we all um, end up in automotive in one way or the other. And then it seems like once we're in, um, we, we never leave because it's too much fun. Right. But but you end up going, you know, everybody's got their own path in their own direction. So share yours a little bit, because I do think it's a, it's a little unique and, and kind of a fun story. Sure. Thanks, Greg. I uh I started in the car business in 1990 selling cars, and uh, and I moved up through the business uh, in 2005. Uh, I'm on my 33rd year, and I guess in 2005, I uh, I had a dealership at the time. We sold that dealership, and when I sold it, I wasn't I wasn't one of those people, Greg, that didn't like retail. So I decided to jump out. I always like retail, right? But when I sold that store, my wife and I kind of stepped back and thought about what what my my next career move might be. And Reynolds got on the radar, and uh, that all happened fairly quickly. I joined Reynolds in 2005, and I worked in the consulting group from 2005 to 2016. Uh, and and for the last four years, I was uh, running the the Midwest region and Canada for the consulting group. As a consulting manager, so um, so yeah, it is kind of unique, right? And what I left Reynolds, I left on really good terms. Uh, some retail opportunities presented themselves again here in Pittsburgh, and uh, I took those. But we left on really good terms, and uh, it's been interesting, right? Because I've been able to take what I learned in retail. I was obviously able to to help leverage that knowledge in Reynolds. But when I came back to retail, Greg, what I learned in Reynolds really gave me uh, what I believe to be a unique, unique set of, of skills uh, in that I, I knew how things work from the, the vendor side, the partner side, and, and the retail side. And I think it's really been able to help us kind of navigate the, the technology shifts that we've had over the past five to ten years. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, it's it's almost just like having that different perspective and that different lens to look at things through um, helps you slow down a little bit. Helps you to your to use your word, kind of navigate things a little differently and and hopefully more effectively. Um, but it, it is interesting when you when you take a step out of your you know what you've done for so long and you're doing something similar but from a different angle, you know, or you have a different perspective. Um, it, it's really interesting coming back and just the way that you see things and the way that you view things and the way you. you do things can be so, so different. I mean, you're doing the same things, but probably in a different way and, and hopefully a more effective way. Yeah, I think so. I think you, you said something very, very key there. It helps us. I think it's helped me step back and kind of visualize the matrix and, and which, which sometimes it, it looks kind of convoluted, right? But, but having uh, spent the time that I spent with Reynolds, I think it's helped me kind of bring form to that matrix and and visualize things that I might not have been able to visualize had I not spent my time with you. Yeah. So um, maybe we can start there, John. And because, you know, obviously for, for a lot of us, we're not in a position where we're going to, you know, leave our leave our job in retail to, to go work somewhere else to get a different perspective or vice versa. Um, sure. But 
do you can you think of any ways or maybe ways that you have uh, in the past or even today slow down and take that step back without you know maybe leaving your your current role? So say I'm a I'm a GM at a store or I'm you know a general sales manager at a store, and it's not like I want to leave and go work for a vendor or work for an OEM. Sure. Um, but how can I slow down and just make sure that I'm I'm embracing all the different perspectives and and looking at situations as clearly as I can? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the things that I've learned in the consulting group, Greg, and one of the things that I relate to the dealerships that I was consulting at the time was when you're in a position at a dealership where you need to make decisions, I think oftentimes we get so close to the forest, to the forest here that, that it's difficult to see the trees. And I think one of the most important things one of the suggestions that I that I think are important are to reserve time for yourself, build it into your day, even put it on your schedule if you have to, to kind of step away from the business and look at it from a twenty thousand foot view, right? Because again, we get so close to it, we want to, we get so caught up in doing things that we don't leave ourselves the appropriate amount of time for assessment, right? And uh, I think that's probably the best way that I've found over the years to kind of navigate that is to make sure that I leave time for my reserve time for myself to assess processes, to assess our state of business, to assess our desired direction for our business during the coming months and the next few months. And, and just reserving that, that sounds really simple, but it's really hard to do unless you kind of take a, a, a concerted point to reserve that time for yourself. Very important. Yeah, yeah, you're right. When when have you found it? And this is probably for for every individual a little bit different. But when have you found it most effective? Is it kind of a morning exercise? You know, lunchtime, evening. Uh, I think about myself and and you know, time in the car. Windshield time is always good for me to do that. Um, honestly, out for out for a longer run is a really good time for me to do that. It kind of clears the head and you start thinking about stuff. Um, or or early morning before the day really starts right before you yeah. get into the groove and you start start getting after it um, but but for you what have you found to be the most effective time or times to do that for me I like to do it in the morning I, I feel yeah. like I'm fresh in the morning I feel like once I'm here for eight or 12 hours a day I don't do things like I did eight hours ago right I'm not right. fresh I'm not invigorated so I like to have those uh, I like to set that time for myself in the morning so I really have a the, the business hasn't really gotten moving yet. I have some time to assess, and then I jump in and I have some direction. That windshield time's great, though, too. Yeah, yeah. Good. Um, well, no, I, I appreciate that and going down there. One, one of the other things I wanted to, to get into with uh, you, John, on is the idea of, um, I've been rolling this around in my head a lot, and the idea of this, the human touch and how, you know, it used to be such a core part of our industry, of our business, right? That re that human to human relationship. Um, but that dynamic has, has changed. We've allowed it to change through technology and through expectations and, um, and I, I'm just, I want to talk some uh, about your perspective on uh, that human interaction, um, that relationship that we build with the customer and what that means, how it's changed, how it's important. We can kind of start wherever you want, but I'm, I'm interested in your perspective. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, obviously over the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen some really dramatic shifts, right? And uh, 
I think it became a situation, Greg, where things maybe got a little too sterile, right? We got so so inundated in the technology pieces that we we moved away. And I say we as an industry, and, and I, I certainly include myself in that, we got so caught up in the technology that I think we we that that human interaction with the customer that's so necessary and, and that we know that they want kind of got muddled through all that. And I think what we're finding now is that while the technology becomes more and more important in our lives and in our industry, that human touch uh, is is still an integral part of what we need to do, right? So I, I feel like as an industry, we're now learning to connect all those dots and and maintain relationships, build relationships, have that human interaction while using the technology to enhance it, right? I, I think we almost got caught in technology replacing those relationships and replacing that human interaction where where all this technology should be enhancing all those things that we know that we need to do to be successful, right? So I think I think now our industry is kind of in a phase where we're recognizing that, Greg, and we're starting to connect all those dots to really, really utilize all the tools that we have available to us to interact, interact with our customer at a better level. Yeah. Well, and you, and you think about that and you said something, you know, that was interesting. Uh, well, a lot of it's interesting, but uh, something that stood out to me was, you know, the idea of technology replacing a person. And it seems like that's always the the initial kind of big leap, right? You have you have on one end, if you look at it on kind of a spectrum, right? On, on one end of the spectrum, you have what we do today, right? And in this case, it's uh, talking with people, interacting with people. The salesperson has all the information, um, you know, and that that relationship and that conversation really is the centerpiece of the transaction. Um, and then all of a sudden, technology advances to the point where, um, you know, we say, well, shoot. We can just give the customer all that information and, and they don't even really need to talk to a person and they can interact and transact online and and it's really not a big deal. And, and so you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum um, and then we start to realize the deficiencies, right? And we start to realize the gaps and so then we start to scale it back a little bit. Um, and and we're, I, I agree with you, I think we're on that path of scaling back to the point where it's a blended model. Um, but we're also to the point, I, I feel like, and I, I want to bounce this off of you, I'm trying to ask this like a question uh, doing a, a pretty poor job, but, uh, <laughs> the, the thought that that's going through my head is, um, I, I feel like in today's world, that conversation, that human interaction is almost the novelty versus, you know, you go back 10 years ago and the, the technology was the novelty, right? So everybody was drawn to it. It's flashy. Um, and it was a differentiator. It really was where you're, um, you you have this, this, uh, technological interaction versus a human interaction. Um, in today's world, we're so tech heavy in so many parts of our lives that when you get the opportunity to interact with somebody and have a relationship with somebody, um, that feels really good. And that's, that's almost like the, the surprise and the novelty and the, the really value add. Right. No, I, I think you're on the money. I, I think we have learned that, that relationship building is what is the the lifeblood of our business, right? And for a small store like us, uh, we don't have, quite frankly, we don't have the budgets to go out and buy more customers every time we need them, right? So right. we really need to work on ways to engage with our customers creatively, uh, to 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 
We know the customers are reaching out to us through any number of ways. And so we have a desire to talk, the customer's showing a desire to talk, and we're all trying to find the best way to kind of put those two things together because we know that customers don't always walk on our lot at the same rate that they used to, right? So right. we know that there's a desire on both sides to engage. And and again, I think I think both the customer and we are trying to find the best way to engage at a level that has the best impact for both of us, right? Both the customer and ourselves. So it's been an interesting, uh, like I said, it's been an interesting five years in that we're starting to realize that that the technology isn't replacing those relationships, but rather now we're trying to figure out how to use that technology to, to maximize those relationships, build the relationships and, you know, have the point of sale navigate to the point of resale so that so that now you're customer building right yeah. uh, and, and that's really how I see this moving forward is I think the dealers that are going to win through these next X amount of years are going to be the dealers that find the best way to connect all those dots and uh, well if it was easy I mean we'd all be able to do it right and, and again you would think it's easy because we know both sides have the desire to talk and the desire to communicate, but uh, but we believe we're on the right path, and I think the industry's on the right path. Yeah, definitely, and and I think too that's where uh, the dealership adds value in this whole ecosystem, right? It, it used to be going back twenty twenty five years that the dealership added value by. Um, you know, having the vehicle in inventory and um, having all the information on the vehicle and the salesperson could guide the customer to the right vehicle. Um, in, in today's world, all that information is kind of out there and you can you can touch and feel and drive a car in, in a lot of different places. Um, so that that value, there, I, I think there's a ton of value in the relationship. And, and you think about, um, I don't know, there's an interesting concept I've heard talked about around uh, digital natives versus analog natives. So you and I, um, you know, we grew up in a world that didn't have uh, Facebook and cell phones, right? So, so right. We consider us analog natives, but anybody under, I don't know, 35, certainly 30, um, would be kind of a digital native, meaning they don't know a world where they didn't have a life online, right? They've had a cell phone in their hand their entire sure. lives. They've had a Facebook account their entire lives. So they've built a life um, online, right, in a digital format. And then their um, their analog life or their what we would call real life, right, is is almost supplemental and it enhances their digital life. And it's, right. it's a complete flip to what we've been so used to uh, forever. And it's interesting when you think about that and then how that's going to expand into the future where we really have an opportunity um, to, to create something meaningful and connect on a different level because of, of that, the rareness of that interaction. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, as you were speaking, I was thinking in my mind, Greg, you know, I think sometimes as an industry, we forget that we are helping the customer, customer navigate to one of the most emotional decisions that they ever make, right? I mean, it, people don't become attached to many more things other than their home, right? A home yeah. purchase is emotional and an automotive purchase is emotional. And again, tapping into that emotion and, and tapping into that, that engagement level that allows the customer to uh, engage at that emotional level, uh, it, 
it is it is a little more difficult today. But I think again that we're finding a way to connect those thoughts and and tap into that emotion again. Where I again, you're right. I think a few years ago we kind of moved away from that a little bit, and we were kind of missing that mark. But I think we're moving back to that, and I think uh, I think customers are realizing that that, and I think this is this is exhibited by some of the models that we've seen around us that have become you know moved to that far side that that maybe they don't have that emotional attachment. I think the dealership uh, has given us, uh, I think the new model has given us the opportunity to kind of have that hybrid conversation with the customer, allow them their uh, kind of shopping exercise that they choose, right, or that they want, but still have that relationship that they want to have through the ownership experience, right? Because what we found is, you know, you, you, you navigate to that sale, but that's just the scratching the, the surface of that relationship, right? It's, it's really navigating that next two to three, five, five years, that buying cycle for that customer. It's really navigating that, that, that is the, the part that we, we really need to become focused on and do successfully in order to build the business. Right. So, uh, and we believe again, that the technology is helping us do that, but, uh, but but that is something that we see as critical in in building our business, navigating that that sale to the point of resale, that two to three year buying cycle. So of course we want the immediate sale, but but we really need more support now than ever to maintain that relationship with the customer through their buying cycle and through their ownership experience. Yeah. So what do you, what do you focus on? To do that, I mean, are we talking about, uh, you know, when, when you talk about that uh, as the the ownership experience, I immediately go to service, right? So we want to maintain their vehicle. We want to we want to maintain that relationship over the coming years through service. Are there other ways that you stay connected and manage that relationship? And and I like your phrase of you know managing the relationship from sale to resale. That's a that's a really good phrase. Um, but what other pieces are you referring to, or maybe just go into a little detail on that? Yeah. So. Um Obviously, I, I, I service kind of does their part in maintaining maintaining a great relationship, right? But from the sales side, uh, we work really hard with our technology. In our case, it happens to be contact management, uh, which is our CRM. That that happens to be a Reynolds product, as you know. Uh, and I believe we 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 can always improve, but I believe we do that fairly well, Greg. Uh, we work real. None of us have a good enough memory to remember every customer we sold, and every single piece of information that we need to maintain that relationship. But through good, uh, good exercising of CRM, um, I, I believe that we maintain that relationship pretty well with customers, just to get the reminders for us, right? So maybe it's a happy birthday. Maybe it's just a call a year from now to talk to the customer and see how everybody's doing to, to remember things like names, Greg. I'm great with faces. I'm terrible yeah. with names, right? So one of the things I do is I made sure when I go into the CRM and I deal with the customer, I made sure I capture the entire family's name and who they are, right? So I know the kids' names. I know the husband or wife's name. Uh, and when I talk to that customer the next time, I pull up their file and I can have a conversation and, and and, you know, when I look at all that, then I remember, right? Then I'm putting the faces to those names. 
And it's building relationship for me, but more importantly, it's building a relationship for them. They now know somebody here and feel like they have a deeper relationship. And this is what we all want, right? So I think, um, I think CRM has helped us in a lot of ways. Contact management has helped us in a lot of ways. And I think, um, I think our chat uh, tool has been good for us from that perspective. Um, you know, we all know that we're in kind of an immediate reciprocation world, right? Uh, people want what they want when they want it, whether that's a vehicle or whether that's just a conversation, right? So what we found, and we learned this the hard way over the last year, is, you know, that chat piece is really critical in today's environment because people people see what they see and they want to act on it right now, whether that action is just a question or a purchase, whatever their desired action is, they want to take that step now. And chat's been really critical for us to kind of maintain that conversation with the customer, whether it's a recurrent repeat customer or whether it's an initial point of interest for a vehicle, right? Um, so chat's been a really critical piece for us on that. What role do you think um, artificial intelligence plays, uh, especially in the chat world, right? You have you have your chat bots and then you have your agents and you have your salespeople. Um, you know, is there a role? Uh, obviously, it's it's growing. Um, Technology is advancing to the point where the interactions are much more human like. Um, but what role do you see kind of technology and artificial intelligence playing in that chat space? Well, I, I think that. We are all kind of running on a skeleton uh, environment from a dealership perspective, right? We're, I think it's safe to say that post-COVID, Greg, we are not overstaffed. Yeah. Uh, we have lean staffing. Uh, we've, we've, we've worked really hard, I think, as an industry to become efficient through these past three years that we've dealt with some of the pandemic issues. Uh, so, so I think... Um, I think the chat piece and the artificial intelligence piece is really important because, quite frankly, uh, you know, I don't I don't sit in my office and not talk to customers. I'm on the front lines most of the day, right? Right. And if I'm talking with a customer that's here, they are the most important thing to me. So whatever happens in the chat or web environment happens either way, whether I'm whether I'm with a customer or not, right? So, but it doesn't make that customer less important that's on the chat. Even though I'm going to pay more attention to the person that's here, what I've found is that AI chat technology has helped us in this small environment uh, navigate that conversation with the customer until the point that I'm able to engage again, right? So I think it's been, re I, I, again, I think initially, maybe we looked at, you know, uh, virtual BDCs and things like that, right? And I think what we're finding now is that, again, we kind of want that blended model. Maybe we don't want a virtual BDC, but we want something to just keep the conversation going. We want a quality engagement with the customer to navigate the time until we're able to be freed up and engage the customer personally again, right? And, and what we found through that is oftentimes, if, if it's a good technology, if it's a good AI interface, those good AI interfaces are getting to the point where sometimes they have the desired outcome for the customer on their own without our engagement. Yeah. 
And, um, and kind of the interesting thing that I learned with uh, Gooba Goo was, uh, you know, I'm kind of a hands-on person, right? I like to jump in. And when I saw that customer conversation happening with Gooba Goo, you know, I was I was on that that dashboard, and I saw that conversation happen, and I jumped right in. And what I learned, Greg, is is I need to back off and let nature take its course on that because uh, I got a little too excited, I think. And what I found is I'm having better results letting that natural AI conversation happen, and and then engaging with the customer after the fact rather than stopping it, jumping in. So, so, but that's all, that all kind of pivots off of a good framework of AI technology. Uh, I told you we learned the hard way earlier. I mentioned it uh, with chat. We had a chat tool in here that historically had done a nice job for it, but I think, nice job for us, but I think, uh, I think over the past year they've been surpassed. And what we found is that the AI technology was causing the customer to kind of move away from the conversation. I think the customer was realizing quickly, Greg, this is not real, right? This is, yeah. this is not what I want to have happen. And they were just kind of hanging up the phone. They were just kind of going away on us. And when we moved towards Gooby Goo, we saw that engagement happen again on a, in a much more natural way. And uh, again, I, what I found with that is I'm, I'm, I'm better off to let that conversation happen let the technology happen and then jump in after the fact. But it's been an interesting evolution seeing the differences of a, a an AI platform that probably got passed up a little bit over the past few years to a new fresh AI platform that really seems to be having a natural conversation with the customer. Uh, that's been really interesting for us. And, and I guess how I would frame that is the previous conversation just wasn't the right wasn't the right conversation for our customer, and if it's not the right thing for our customer, then it's not the right thing for me. Uh, and when we move to Gooba Goo in this case, and we have a much better interaction level, that that's the right thing for me. I want my customers to have the best possible experience at Joe Ball GMC, whether it's dealing with me, one of our service technicians or a salespeople or the chat tool. People people need quality interaction right now. And quite frankly, we don't have the time to not have a quality interaction with our customers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There's, there's a couple things there that I want to uh, dig into a little bit. So the first one, um, talking about, you know, chat and and um, good versus bad AI, I, I do think, and I'm curious what your reaction is, that... Um, there's an opportunity to be upfront with customers that, hey, I'm a chat bot, right? Like set the expectation too. So they're not, um, you know, when that conversation does go a little bit off the rails, uh, it's not awkward and, and they don't get upset. You know, it's like, hey, if you want to talk to somebody at any time, just tell me and I'll get somebody on, you know, in yeah. the chat. Um, so, so having that balance and um, people are at this point understanding of the fact that Hey, there's there's a chat bot that's gonna answer some basic questions, and if I want to have a conversation, I can talk to a person. So, um, you know, there, there's that piece of it. Uh, the other one, though, on the, the flip side of that is how advanced kind of artificial intelligence is getting. Have you seen um, any of the the chat GPT stuff that kind of came out in November? They launched. Have you seen any of that? 
I don't, I, I don't know if I've seen that. Okay. What, what, was, what was the acronym you used? It's Chat GPT, and I don't know what GPT stands for, to be quite honest with you. I'm not an expert on this, but I, uh, it came to my attention. So Ryan Reynolds, uh, the actor who's got you know a few different companies, he's got sure. a company called Mint Mobile. And he actually did an ad, and he claims, and I mean, I don't have a reason to, to not believe it, but he claims he used ChatBT, ChatGPT to write a script for um, a commercial. And so he, let, he put this commercial out, and um, it's pretty funny, as most of his stuff is, but um, he, he reads the script that ChatGPT wrote for him, and it's it, it's pretty good i mean it's uh you know nice it flows well it's in his voice um and at the end he's like man it's kind of terrifying how good that is so um you look at some of this stuff and the different ways uh people are leveraging technology and, and making it more and more human um it'll be very interesting over the next handful of years to see how far this goes and and again to circle back around on what we were talking about earlier um i think it makes the, the desire for actual human interaction that much stronger because when you're interacting with a screen or your phone the whole time, um, sitting down and talking to somebody face-to-face, belly-to-belly, um, it just feels different. It does. It does. And I, and I, think, um, I think when the customer is ready for it, they've discovered over the past five years that that's what they want, right? But, but in that initial kind of phase where AI is playing a, a part, the customers kind of, they're maybe dipping their toes in the water, right? They're not ready to just jump in yet. So, right. but they want good information. They want quality information. They want transparency. They they need, they need to accomplish what they need to accomplish before they get here, right? And then when they get here, what what I've found, Greg, is if we're able to give them quality interactions up front in that way, when they get here. What was so hard for us 20 years ago has become easy because they already know what they want. They already know or have a very good idea of of what it costs. They're a much more informed customer, and they're much easier to, to, I guess, process that transaction with because they're educated. They know that fear that they've had. Right. So you have a salesperson that's kind of afraid of the customer and you you have a customer that's kind of afraid of us. A lot of that has been broken down in a very natural way because they've been able to accomplish. They've been able to overcome that with the information that they're able to get transparently. If if they have a quality way to get that, they're able to overcome that before they get here. So that transaction has become much, much easier by the time that they hit our floor. That, but we've had to make adjustments, right? So think about think about the disconnects that can happen there, Greg. You know, so we have a quality interaction on chat. We have a few emails back and forth. We build a little bit of a relationship. And then they come to the store and they run into a salesperson that says, uh, you know, what what can I help you with? And 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 we're not maybe Maybe I'm not informed or not educated on the conversation and the hard work that they've done before they got here, right? So the, the good thing is the customer's educated. The, the, the piece that we need to live up to is we need to make sure that we meet the high expectations of information that the customer now has. They don't want to start from zero again, right? So they've, they feel like they've accomplished 60% of what they do. We can't knock that back. 
we've got right. to take that 60% that they feel like they've accomplished and build on that, right? And that's where I found in the consulting group, right? Uh, and and still today, I've found that that's where our good work is, is making sure that we give the customers what they want and that we live up to their expectations when they get here. And, and again, that sounds very remedial, but all you have to do as a dealer is listen to a few phone calls, look at yep. a few email chains to discover that maybe you're not where you want to be yet and you find your areas of improvement, right? So that's really what we work hard on to do is, is to kind of navigate that difference between making sure we capitalize on what the customers accomplished and we deliver on what their expectation now is, if that makes sense. It does. And, and I think that's where technology really can help, right? We talked about technology earlier and there's a huge benefit there. So you think about, I mean, I've sold, you sold, and we've all worked in a CRM. Obviously you, you push your salespeople to work in the CRM. You mentioned that earlier, but at the end of the day, we're all relying on ourselves and also others to, to input notes and to know what's going on. Um, and if that doesn't happen, we, we've all done it, right? The customer sits down in front of you or calls you, and you're just scrambling trying to figure out who this person is, what sure. the relationship with the store is. And, and if there's nothing or minimal uh, information in the CRM, um, you're forced into a situation as a salesperson where you do have to ask those questions. So um, when we have more of the interaction happening online, it's digital by nature. Um, so we can pull that in. So in that instance, when the customer is in front of us, we have it all. We know what the chat conversation was. We even know what the phone conversation was. We, we know what they've done. Um, so that information is presented to us rather than relying on ourselves or our peers to manually input information that we all forget to. I mean, it's not an excuse, but the reality is sometimes we're busy and we don't get there, you know? Right. Well, you know, you know, from a CRM perspective, I think, you know, we get so caught up in doing our work plans, right? We, we have to, we have to do our work and we forget, we forget the work that we're doing. And what I mean by that is, and, and I would suggest this to any dealer is that what I do is I'll, I'll go into the CRM and I'll look at our, our output for the day, right? So I might look at a salesperson's or, or anybody's outgoing emails for the day, not to necessarily look through, I'll spot check what they're sending. But one of the things I look for is when did they do their work? Meaning if I see that somebody sent 45 emails before 11 a.m., I know that we probably didn't pay attention to those emails with the level of customization that our customers might expect. If I see that they did 11 phone calls before 10 a.m., right? So phone call activities, that doesn't sure. necessarily mean we had 11 conversations, right? So. Yep. One of the things that we work hard to try, you know, we need to get those daily. We need to do our work. We need we need to execute what we need to execute, but we need to execute with quality output. Meaning, I would rather us make five good phone conversation, five real contacts, than twenty completed activities. If that makes sense, and that's where I think again we can get. I think you know again in the past we've gotten that that technology kind of got us away from that. We, we're doing activities, you know, we're doing all these activities. Look how many activities, we're, but but how many conversate, how many real contacts did we have? How many real meaningful conversations with customers did we have, right? And, and that's really where we can make 
the CRM do what it was, what I believe it was intended to do, right? Uh, but I think sometimes we get away from that. Even today, we get so caught up in the doing that we miss the most important pieces of what we're here to do. No, I love that. I love that. And, and I think at its core, a lot of that goes back to, and this is a mindset thing from the top down, a lot of that goes back to the leader, right? Whoever's um, inspecting the work, are you inspecting um, activity, right? Or are you inspecting activity that drives output, right? And, and making the CRM a true sales tool versus a management tool. Those are two very different things. And both are important. But for the salesperson, the CRM should make their job easier. It should make them more effective, um, and it should help them close more business at the end of the day. Um, so focusing on that part of it, uh, much heavier than the part about trying to pull reports on, you know, how many activities, to use your example, somebody has throughout the day. Um, I think that that is something that can get overlooked and can be a miss because um, we, we use it too often, I feel, as a, as a measuring tool and a stick versus, you know, something that, that is enabling and helping salespeople be more effective. Yeah. Well, I, I think the technology excites us, Greg. And, yeah. and what I mean by that is, you know, initially when I engaged with CRM years and years ago, uh, which happened to be contact management in, in <laughs> its infancy, by the way, uh, but I think our natural reaction to that kind of introductory technology is we want it all, right? We, we want to do to call them till they buy or die, right? And yeah. and to give the give the employees thirty phone calls and and you know call them for ninety months and and you, what what I found through Reynolds and through my own retail experience is that that good natured excitement inundates people with activity versus contact, and that's where we get so concerned, and I include myself in this at times. We get so concerned with how much work did we do as opposed to how much quality contact did we really have, right? And and just those little things like looking for all the phone calls that sometimes the salesperson makes before 10 a.m. when you know maybe they didn't make all those calls before 10 a.m. <laughs> and, and, and that's where those little tricks can kind of help you determine which atmosphere you're in from a CRM perspective. Are you in kind of a an activity atmosphere where you're you're not necessarily focused on quality contact? You're just, man, we're getting the daily work plans done though, boss, right? Uh, versus that quality conversation. And there's so many, I mean, Greg, we could talk about that all day, right? There's so right. many layers to that. Like if I'm going to ask them to make that quality conversation, then I need to make sure that they know how to have it and what they should say and, and what notes they should be looking for to prepare themselves to make that outgoing call, right? I mean, I get an incoming phone call from a customer. I don't know what's going to happen, right? I don't know what they're going to say on the other end of the line. But when I see that phone activity on my daily work plan, that gives me a unique opportunity to prepare myself and, and know as much as I can before I make that outgoing phone call, should I have as much information as I can to, to increase my chances of having a positive outcome, whatever that positive outcome is, even if it's just checking in to see how the family's doing and knowing them by names instead of, oh, yeah, what's your kid's name again, right? And it's a big difference. So, so, but it, but it's 
quality in, quality out, garbage in, garbage out. And and but it's it's having those two different, I think having those two different mindsets, first determining which mindset you are as a store, and then and then doing what you need to do to maybe effectively change that mindset to quality contact versus just busy work, right? Yep. Yep. No, that's that's great. Um, now, John, I could I could talk to you for hours or, or days probably, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but before we hop off, there's one thing I wanted to ask you. So I, I, earlier you mentioned, and you kind of brought it up again, um, struggling to remember names at times, right? Really good with faces, not really good with names. One thing I've noticed throughout our conversation, um, you've used my name as we've been talking uh, just in, in conversation. But when you do that, obviously, you're looking at me, you're saying my name. Um, so the question I have is, is that intentional? Um, or is it something that maybe you've worked on in the past so that it could help you remember people's names? Um, it just some, one of those little tricks that can be really impactful for folks. Cause I, I think that that's fairly common where it's difficult. You, you meet so many people in a day, it's difficult to remember names. So, uh, you know, uh, it is intentional, Greg. Uh, I know my weakness on that front and I had a, uh, I forget, I forget who it was, but at one point I had a Suzuki franchise yep. and and one of the one of the presidents or vice presidents came in to visit me, and this is years ago. This is in the early two thousands, maybe late nineties. But he introduced himself and he gave me his business card, and I took his business card, Greg, and I put it in my pocket. And he said, "No, no, 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 no. That, that's not how we do it. You, when you get a business card, you get the business card, you look at it, you learn the name, learn the title, acknowledge it, and then." you put it in, right? And that's a lesson that has helped me kind of navigate my weakness in learning the names is I try to use names. I, I When people give me business cards, I look at it, I acknowledge it. It helps me save it for when I need it uh, instead of just throwing it on my desk and it gets legs and goes away. Um, yeah, those little personal interactions, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not real good at names, so I've learned a couple of different ways to help me kind of figure that out and and uh, make my memory a little better. No, that's great. That's great. I appreciate you sharing. Um, well, John, what else? Uh, what else you want to touch on? Anything we haven't talked about that we should, or anything you want to dive into before we hop off here? You know, uh, I guess the only thing I would say uh, that I would add to the conversation that we've had, and it's been a good conversation, Greg. I appreciate that. Um, I um, I had good time with Reynolds. Uh, we have Reynolds today. Uh, you know there are many, many names in the hat right now to to court as business partners and vendors, right? Uh, the manufacturers, puts, they, they put names in our hat. Uh, there's a lot for dealers to look at today uh, with all the technology that's happening around them. But the one thing I would leave you with, I guess, is I believe that it's really important that dealers understand the difference between a business partner and a vendor. And that when they move towards things like DMS systems, major things, right? We know we have to deal with vendors and there's nothing wrong with vendors. But but when we look towards major pieces like like CRMs, like like DMSs, it's very important that that I believe dealers need to look at the difference between a business partner and a vendor. And uh, 
I know that I, since, since I've been back in the retail, I've had to look at other vendors. I, selfishly, I built my career on Reynolds, so I know it like the back of my hand. But there are other choices out there that we've looked at. But it has been what I view as our partnership uh, that has kind of been the trump card in those conversations uh, that, that the other vendors have not been able to overcome. Uh, the level of service that we get, and, and if I may throw a few names, uh, the level of service that we get from people like Dave Brown, from people like Matt Kleeman, from people like Scott Worthington, who I've known for years, uh, people like Dave Bates and your new president, Chris Walsh, they're just outstanding people, and they've created a very good relationship for us. And as I said, we've been able to have a level of interaction with your company just over the past year, and it wasn't bad before that either. But it's, we've really deepened our ties over the past year. And I can tell you that I appreciate that as a dealership, to have a, to have a business partner that I believe has our best interest at heart. Well, John, I appreciate that. Thank you very much for, uh, for sharing. Um, not necessary at all, but I'll tell you, it is, it is appreciated. We, we appreciate your partnership as well. It's always a two-way street, right? And uh, thanks for all that, uh, that you do as well. Um, but John Carpenter, General Manager at Joe Ball GMC, uh, thanks again for all your time this morning, and uh, we'll catch up again soon, hopefully. Thank you. Wow, what a great conversation with John Carpenter from Joe Ball GMC outside of Pittsburgh. A wealth of knowledge there. I appreciate him hopping on. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And before we hop off, don't forget you can watch or listen to all episodes of Connected on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you're notified every other week when new episodes are released. Thanks so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. Oh!